United Lutheran Seminary presents the Seminary Explores podcast, conversations on faith, art, people, politics, theology, life, and more, with voices from around the corner and around the globe. Welcome to the Seminary Explores. My name is Nelson Strobert, and today my guest is Jonathan Knoll, who is the Minister of Music at St. James Lutheran Church in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the Seminary Explorers. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Well, I'm going to get, I'm going to start off right away with my first question is, how did you become interested in the organ as a musical instrument? I should say he is a Minister of Music, but also the organist at St. James Lutheran Church. That's right. Um, So, In my family, I was the youngest of three children, and my sister played the piano, my brother played the guitar, my mother played the piano, my father was a great tenor. (laughs) Um, He wouldn't have said that, but he was. (laughs) And we were a church-going family. So there was always music in my life at an early age. Of course, I wanted to play the piano like my sister. I would sit with her on the bench oh, really? <laughs> and kind of play along. And she tolerated that for a while. <laughs> so um, took piano lessons. Uh, at one point took some trumpet lessons. They didn't last very long. But then the organ came along a bit later. So it was around middle school. Um, back in the day, shopping malls, um, you know, they used to have those music stores where they oh, were yeah. trying to sell pianos and organs. Exactly. I was fascinated by these instruments as a kid i think because of all the lights and the knobs and the buttons okay more so <laughs> more so than the music um i convinced my parents to buy me one of these things so um then they set me up with with lessons at a local music shop and it just evolved from there i never looked back Oh, that's very interesting. At what age was this uh, that you can recall? Um, so I started organ lessons in sixth grade. Oh my, that is very young. And now when I was getting started, this was pop music. This was the, the organ for the house. Oh, okay. And I was taking at a local music studio. At some point, I'm not sure when, maybe around eighth grade, I made the connection that the organ that I was seeing at the church was sort of a grown-up version of what I was playing, and I wanted to learn how to do that. And then I switched to a teacher at a, at a local congregation uh, on and started playing a pipe organ for the first time in uh, maybe ninth or tenth grade. Okay. And how did that develop into uh, your further study then, your preparation? Um, I was just... I. I it, I loved it so much. I, it was. It became part of who I was uh, to learn the the repertoire of the organ. Also, as I was um, studying with my teacher, um, and it wasn't the church I was attending; it was a different one. Uh-huh. I I um, was fascinated by other things that he did, such as directing the choir and working with the kids' choirs. And I thought, you know, I really could make a career out of this. Okay. And I think the light bulb came on around 10th grade pretty early that this is something that I wanted to do. Um, and, and so I enrolled in college and ultimately graduate school for organ. Oh, okay. Uh, thank you for sharing that, that, that piece of your biography. Interesting. Um, as you reflect on uh, the uh, of the organ and and the church, the life of the church, what do you see 
as the role of the organist or uh, in the life of the church? I think the organist is really very responsible for the singing of the congregation. Um, more so, I mean, uh, uh, organists tend to study, you know, Bach and other sorts of repertoire. But at the core of what we do as church musicians is the ability to lead a congregation in singing. And um, I think that's, that's the most important thing. Uh, um, organists really do need to work on him playing in a way that uh, meets the congregation where they are, um, sort of pulls them along and inspires them really to give it their best with their voices. Okay. Uh, so in, so, in some sense, you're talking about uh, helping to build a community of worshipers. That's right, yeah. And, uh, and helping them, helping the, and it's interesting you said helping the congregation. And uh, so often we think of singing uh, and the choir rather than the, uh, than the congregation as a whole. Mm. Well, that's true, and choirs certainly can help, but um, many churches, I, I suspect, like where I am the minister of music, uh, have at least one service without a choir, and the role falls to the organist to be the inspiration then. Um, if it's not a well-known hymn to you know help with the melody or if they're a little sluggish that morning, pull them along a, a bit, uh, and and just kind of be the the the, the band leader, as it were, for, for the congregation. <laughs> Indeed. Um, um, what do you see as the challenges of the church organist uh, in this age of technology, and and particularly uh, as we've experienced in the last couple of years with with COVID and 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 other viruses that have 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 sort of transformed our lives? Well, it was really scary for a while there when churches had to close down. I had, I had colleagues who weren't playing, frankly, during that time. Um, uh, most of us were able to continue online with worship. So in that respect, um, technology certainly has helped the organ. Interestingly, um, a lot of churches have continued live streaming. Yes. And I think it might poss be possible, um, even with church attendance down, that with live streaming there are more people than ever before who've maybe come across the sound of an organ ah. and been introduced it for the for the first time. Well, I never thought of it in, in, in those terms. You know, the introduction of new people uh, to church music and to the organ in, in general. Yeah, I think it is happening. Okay. Um, as you look at the organist uh, in the church, uh, what, is, what preparation would you recommend for someone thinking about uh, becoming an organ, a church organist? Mm-hmm. Well, it's best to have a piano background, um, to get familiar with the notes. I mean, the piano keyboard and the organ keyboard look very much alike. There are some technical differences. Um, chief among them 
the addition of a pedal board for for an organist. And when you say pedal board, could uh, well, for our listening audience yes, and sir. those who know nothing about the organ, <laughs> what do you mean a, a, by a pedal board? Yeah, organs have at least two keyboards, sometimes three, sometimes four, sometimes five in rare instances, and a pedal board uh, and a keyboard for the feet, which we call a pedal board. Uh, it's generally about two and a half octaves, and they are keys that you that are very large keys. Uh, usually made of wood, um, that the organist plays with their feet. Okay, okay. In terms of, uh, of preparation for the organ, uh, you, uh, uh, you mentioned the piano. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, from, and what happens after that? Um, well, find a good teacher. If you are interested particularly in church music, then I think it makes sense to seek out an organist in the community who is an inspiring music director at their church, at their congregation. Um, and it, it depends, if we're talking about young people, I'm thinking of young people right now, yeah, Yes. <laughs> um, of, of finding a local congregation like I did, I found a teacher in town, I didn't know him previously, um, but we had done some research I, and I started studying. Um, if, but the same thing is true for an adult. I've taught adult students before, um, pianists who were pressed into service by their local congregation and suddenly wanted to figure out how to play the organ at their church. And and I've taught folks like that before. Um, beyond that, if, if you get really serious about organ performance, there still are, um, music schools that have performance degrees in organ. Uh, although, though, uh, from what I hear, many of these schools, you know, there are less and less uh, schools of music, uh, be it college or uh, graduate school of music. And that seems to me very sad for, uh, for, for church life and, and for future organists. It's true. It, the numbers go down every year. Um, uh, well, in, in that case, uh, what do you think uh, might, uh, how do we inspire young people to, to consider such a career uh, uh, in, in, in the life of the church and in their own professional uh, desires? Well, I think, I think we have to inspire, I, I think that I think people are just as fascinated by the organ as they ever have been, but the exposure isn't there. We have lots of people now who aren't going to churches where organs are located, or they're going to churches that do, don't use the organ, right, right. Um, that use a band or, or, or piano or, or some other means. Um, and reaching those people is, is tough. Um, The American Guild of Organists that I belong to has an outreach program for young people um, that they sponsor um, in various cities throughout the nation from time to time. And it's it's a way to expose young piano students to the joys of the organ. They'll 
They'll show them how they work. Right, right. They'll do programs on them. They'll let them try their piano pieces on on different sounds, different stops on the organ. And some and they usually end up from, I haven't been involved in these myself, but they usually end up from what I hear with with several new organ students. Ah, okay. Um who who want to who want to learn and who hadn't been exposed previously. So what used to be simple when people simply went to church <laughs> to hear the organ and be inspired by it isn't so easy anymore unless people hear it at a a concert program or or on YouTube. It's all over YouTube now if if it organs organs from all around the world Oh yeah, indeed. YouTube has a lot of stuff on there, and and certainly uh, music is is one of those. Music performance mm -hmm. is one of those things. Um, speaking of which, then um, if one were go to going to YouTube, or someone in my list listening audience decides, well, you know, from hearing this, I want to go to YouTube and hear an organist. Uh, or repertoire of, of you know what are the compositions that I uh, that might be out there. What would you recommend in terms of uh, repertoire, or what should what 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 should they be listening to? Maybe that's maybe that's what I should say. How to get a start on it? Yeah, I do quite a lot of poking around on YouTube. I when I want to hear a piece of. A, a particular piece of music, I'll often do a, a search and just see if there's someone out there who's playing it, who's already played it. Um, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, I probably would have would have recommended recording artists who had made compact right. discs mm -hmm. on my shelf somewhere. But more and more, I go to YouTube, and and there are some familiar names out there now on YouTube, but others not so. Okay. Um, and you might want to just type in something like, oh, pipe organ. I think it's important to put pipe organ. Oh, okay. Because otherwise you'll get like rock and roll organ or, or some of the, put pipe organ, put France or Netherlands or something. And chances are something's going to pop up with a, a good organist playing a historic instrument. And you not only get to hear it, but you get to see the organist right. in action. Sometimes you see pictures of the church or cathedral. It's very inspiring. And this wasn't something you could do years ago with, exactly. with simply compact discs. So um, I would just get out there and explore. Any Are there any names that... Uh, that you might recommend uh, for people to hear uh, famous organists? Uh. One of my go-tos is Ballant Carosi. Um, he has made, he has a YouTube channel. He has made uh, many recordings uh, of historic instruments. He will demonstrate them. He'll pull out a stop. He'll tell you what the name of the stop is. He'll put different combinations together. And he'll play, um, t he tends to play traditional repertoire. So it's good for that. He's also a wonderful improviser. So he will um, end up the sessions with some wonderful composition on the spot um, and, and show off these various organs from around the world. It's like armchair travel. It's really, it's really wonderful. Another one is Sietze de Vries. He is a Dutch organist. Okay. He, he does a similar kind of thing. Um, 
beyond that, you know, there's a lot of organists who are not recording artists. They simply are decent organists. They set up their camera. They post something on YouTube. And there it is. There's some not so great ones out there. There are some wonderful recordings out there. Um, but I think that someone who has never heard an organ before yes. can be inspired by someone playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star on a, on a great pipe organ in France, for example. <laughs> right. okay. So I, I completely salute um, the use of YouTube to, to explore the world of the pipe organ. Okay, the, again, the merging of music and technology yeah. in a different way in yeah. terms of music appreciation and music discovery. Um, uh, are there uh, pieces, uh, any pieces that you would recommend uh, to our listening audience, pieces for them to listen to? I know there's a lot out there. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what, probably the most popular organ piece ever written is the Vidor Toccata. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, and every young person wants to try to learn the Vidor Toccata as their first piece. Of course, it's, it's, it's beyond what, what they should be attempting. But it's wonderful to listen to. Um, it opens up that world of the French symphonic organ, which is just magnificent. Also, it's worth listening to Bach, especially his chorale preludes, mm. preludes and fugues, and that sort of thing. Um, to learn something about the classic repertoire for the organ. Right. Um, a couple of things you mentioned. Um, you mentioned the French um, symphonic organ? Yes. What is that? So, the I have to contrast it with the Baroque organ. The organs of the 18th century were very classical in sound. This, this would be the sound you would experience for, for, for Bach, for example, Buxtehude, Pachelbel. Um, in France in the 19th century, organ builder, especially Aristide Cavalier-Col, who's probably the most famous French builder, wanted to build organs that sounded more like the symphony orchestra. So they created stops that would sound like the strings and like the trombones and the flutes, the harmonic flutes. And organists built, uh, organists began to play repertoire right out of Wagner and from the opera and from what they were hearing in the concert halls. And this was a trend in France for quite a while. Oh, okay. And there's a whole repertoire around this that came out of France in the 19th and early 20th centuries. It's well worth knowing because it's beautiful and lovely music. Okay. Uh, another term you used, uh, uh, stop. What is a stop for our listening audience? <laughs> um, so each... Um, <laughs> how do I explain this? The, um, each sound... An organ is made up of many, many different sounds um flutes strings trumpets and um when an organist pulls a stop which is basically a button on the organ it allows the air from the wind chest to flow into that particular set of pipes that correspond to the notes on the keyboard okay so when you pull a flute stop you get a flute sound 
When you pull a reed stop or a trumpet stop, you get a trumpet sound. And then you can mix these together in various ways, like an artist mixes paints on a palette to get a different sounds. Oh, okay. Well, th thank you. <laughs> thank you for explaining that. Um, and as, we, as you look at the future of the organ uh, and, uh, and the church, um, what directions uh, do you see it going? I see diversity. I, I think any organist today who's thinking about perhaps a career in the church or even just playing as a weekend gig on Sundays needs to be very diverse. Um, be able to play the piano, maybe some guitar, um, get into different styles. I don't think the organ alone as a solo instrument is quite the way to go anymore. Even in my job, I often play the piano. I use the guitar with the children, um, various things like that. Um, because the music of the world isn't just one thing ah, anymore. Okay. So, so uh, the, uh, the organist is sort of a musician of... Uh, of many a musician of many talents i think the organist needs to be a musician first organist second ah okay that's an interesting way of putting that yeah because you also need to understand the voice to be able to help congregations to be able to help choirs and that sort of thing so there are many things we might specialize as i have in the organ um but i've had to learn much about other instruments um to in order to have conversations with other instrumentalists and and to pull off repertoire that might not be originally written for the organ. Okay. Well, I can't believe our time is up. Uh, that <laughs> went <run> quickly. <laughs> Indeed. But I want to thank you for sharing with our listening audience uh, the role of the organist in the congregation and building community and also uh, sharing uh, what you see as the future of, of the musician, the organist musician in the congregation. You're certainly welcome. I really enjoyed okay. this talk. Okay. Uh, my guest today has been Jonathan Knoll, who is the organ, a music, minister of music and organist at St. James Lutheran Church in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. For the Seminary Explorers, this is Nelson Strobert. Have a good day.
You have been listening to The Seminary Explores, a production of United Lutheran Seminary with campuses in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We invite you to visit our website at unitedlutheranseminary.edu. All opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of United Lutheran Seminary or the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America.